Welcome to Modern Methodist Church's Sanctuary Service brought to you from downtown Tyler, Texas. My name is Doug Baker and I'm the lead pastor. Today, Dr. Mark Donaldson will be bringing today's message. I know you'll be blessed by Mark's deep spiritual faith and formational biblical insights. Enjoy this morning's broadcast. Let's join in as the message is already underway. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The point of this morning's message, what am I preaching on and why? I'm preaching on sanctification. Sanctification, let me define it for you and then we'll pray. Sanctification is the lifelong work of grace in us whereby we are consumed with the presence of God and it manifests itself in holy love. And the real reason why is because I believe there's gotta be more. We experience God up to a certain point. Maybe we hit a wall. There has got to be more. Our God is just that big. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we do long for more, so do a work this morning. Lord, speak clearly to each one of us in this gathering so that in our scattering we might be inspired to really live. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Pray those words with me. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the weeks leading up to this moment in time, I've also been reflecting on who I am, who we are, and how or who God is calling us to be. I am a Donaldson through and through. Born to Suzanne and Sonny, I grew up in Aldine, a community, a part of Northeast Houston. I'm a fan of Texas A&M football, University of Kentucky basketball, Houston Astros baseball, don't hold that against me. Really, I'm a fan of all things Houston. I'm married to Leanne, and I feel like God's favorite because of it. We have one son named Marcus, and my favorite things are being with them, traveling with them, being outdoors. We like to eat food, <laughs> and a lot of it. Our guilty pleasure is to watch TV, but we really love to play and enjoy one another. And if you know Leanne, you might agree that she and I, we are as different as night and day. But the one thing we've got, more than that really, but one thing we've got 
is Jesus Christ. We see him the same. We get him. We understand ministry and life just the same. He is everything. I am Marvin Church, and I say that in all sincerity and humility. And just the same, I'll let you know you are too. And so I want you to say that with me. I am Marvin Church. One more time. I am Marvin Church. And we were the first church organized in Smith County. That ought to make you proud. Fruit of the fastest missionary movement this country has ever known. Circuit riders committed to spreading scriptural holiness throughout the land of this new country. I'm grateful for the legacy of Mrs. M.B. Adams, whose commitment to prayer and fasting is the foundation this church is built on. I'm grateful for Bishop Enoch Mather Marvin, who never pastored this church, but is its namesake. He was far from perfect, but he was respecter of all people. And this is what I mean by that. Went to great lengths to preach the gospel to all people. He ordained the first Hispanic Methodist here in the state of Texas so that we could reach the gospel with our Mexican brothers and sisters. And he heeded the Great Commission, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world as far as China and then some. I'm grateful for the work of God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character is consistent in all its ways. His call is irrevocable. He's called us. His call does not change, period, has not changed since the beginning of time. God has been stirring the hearts of men and women for his purposes in this world. And we could talk about Abraham, Moses, David. We could talk about Deborah, Delilah. We could talk about Moses, Peter, Paul, St. Augustine, Martin Luther, John Wesley. I'm grateful for our Wesleyan roots. Again, Wesley is the founder of the Methodist movement, had a unique but not groundbreaking, didn't own the market, but a unique understanding of grace, human free will, the pursuit of holiness in the context of community, what we're doing right here and then some. John Wesley was the son of an Anglican priest, himself was an Anglican priest, but at the age of 35 years of age, his heart was strangely warmed. He was awakened. This movement caught fire then. That awakening shaped his understanding of prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace. He would call prevenient grace the pursuit of God on all people. And as God is pursuing, and as we are responding, we find ourselves on the porch of God's house. Justifying grace is that grace at work in us when we cross the threshold into God's house. We open the door and we walk through it. And sanctifying grace is that grace that we experience for the rest of our lives, being on the inside of God's house, experience all the benefits, rights, and privileges that come with being sons and daughters of God inside the house of God. The reality is we are being perfected in love. 
And John Wesley held that we could be made perfect in love in this lifetime. And he's not talking about morality or behavior, but he's talking about the attitude of the heart, that the heart could be governed by the love of God, and it's true for us as individuals, but I'm here to tell you there's got to be more. It's true for us as the church. And there's so much more I could say about Marvin Church, about our Wesleyan heritage and understanding, but I want to move on to who God is calling us to be, and I want to dig into the text that we read just a moment ago, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. As we continue, we're going to talk about our current reality, our future hope, and our present disposition. And again, the goal here, we're building to sanctification because there's got to be more. So what's our current reality? The context for the scripture that we read this morning is the salvation of our souls. That's what Peter had been writing about up until verse 13. We have been saved by grace through faith. This salvation is marked by, it is distinguished by the presence of Jesus Christ. He is not dead. Jesus is alive. And right out of the gate, Peter talks about God's mercy, the new birth, resurrection, revelation. He doesn't sugarcoat anything telling us there will be trials. And the reality is that which we long for, that which we are awaiting, it's already breaking in. Not only is that our hope, church, we have the hope of the world living inside of us. Therefore, because of this hope, we begin in verse 13 with minds that are alert and fully sober. Alert, literally gird up the loins of the mind. Get ready for action. In the first 12 verses, Peter has painted very broadly with a doctrinally theological brush. Now he's adding shadows of Old Testament soteriological history, salvation history. Peter's language conjures up not only the image of tucking your robe into your belt, being ready for action, ready to move, but this word also recalls the preparation of the people of Israel for the exodus out of Egypt. They weren't sure when the exodus would take place. Be ready, always. There is a spiritual alertness that characterizes the church. We are to live lives in a state of readiness for Christ's return, which may happen right now. Or he's breaking into time and space all the time. Be ready always prepared for action, able to give an answer whenever anyone asks about the reason for the hope that is within us. We're always engaged, dialed in mentally and spiritually for the work and task at hand. Not talking intellect or smarts, but rather our entire mental and spiritual attitude, a heightened awareness of our relationship to and with God that is alive 
and exists at all times, not just one hour on Sunday morning. Minds that are alert and fully sober. And if you're thinking drunkenness, you're on the right track. Peter's admonition is for us to put all of that to rest. Don't be subject to impaired or stinking thinking. Don't be distracted by the mental intoxication of the things of this world. Mind-numbing candy, but be alert to spiritual realities, sober in speech and in conduct, with purity of intent in all that you are and all that you do. What is the current reality of the church? Awakened. Do I need to tell you to wake up? We are awakened. Now let's talk about our future hope. Since your mindset and your heart set is alert and fully sober, set your hope on Christ, on his future grace, a grace that is experienced day by day and eschatologically speaking, will be fully realized upon his triumphant return. But this grace, this hope, it isn't something we are waiting for. It's something that is breaking into time and space all the while. It is right here and right now to be experienced and will be so much more in the culmination of all things. So what does this mean? Our future reality is at once and the same time our present experience. Let me say that again. Our future reality is at once and the same time our present experience. How then are we to live? Responsively to God's grace who is always at work around us, responsively in obedience to the work and will of God. Do not conform to the evil desires you once had when you were ignorant. Those are Peter's words, not mine. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When Christ calls a man or a woman, when he calls us, he bids us to come and die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said those words. He put that into practice as well. Put to death the old man, the old woman, the old way of living. It's a death patterned after the way of Jesus who invites anyone who is willing, anyone who is willing to respond, to take up their cross and to follow him daily, not one time, daily. And it's marked by baptism, which is our initiation into the body of Christ, our baptism where we go down into the water, identifying with Christ's death, coming out of the water, identifying with him in his resurrection. What is our future hope? Our future hope is marked by a continuous process of transformation. It begins like this, and it keeps going and going and going because our God is that big. Do not conform. Be transformed, which implies a work that is done on us, maybe better said, in us, 
by someone who is outside of us. We know it's someone inside of us. Be transformed, church. The one who called you is faithful. The one who rescued you and me is holy. And he calls us to be holy as well, which leads to our present disposition. This command to be holy has at least four references found in the book of Leviticus alone. And this command to be holy is for all the people. It's not just for the priests, not just for the Levites. It is for all of God's people, every one of us. We are commanded to be holy because God is holy. And he brought Israel up out of Egypt with great cause. God rescued Israel from their enslavement in Egypt. And we're talking freedom, which is a thing. God brought Israel up out of Egypt to be their God. And that's the point. That's the purpose, that God would be our God because we are not. God is God and country is not. Culture is not. Currency is not. God is God. And so being set free, all of our allegiance, all of our attention, all of our affections directed towards, given to God, he rescued us from all our enemies and has enabled us to serve him without fear. Israel was called by God. They were set apart for worship, which is all of life, for life to be ordered around the remembering, rehearsing, and retelling of salvation history, for life to be lived in the context of community and not in isolation, for life to be enjoyed in all of its simplicity, in all sincerity, and in all purity. God brought Israel up out of Egypt so that they might thrive and really live, which was different from all the other nations. For that reason, this being set apart, it is attractive to the world. The way God has called us to live is attractive to others. It's all-encompassing. The nations might be grafted in. It's future and forward thinking. Care for the widow and the orphan. It is future thinking in the sense that our concern is for the generations coming up behind us, that they might know and believe. Our present disposition in this world is being holy. Be different. Live differently. That's who you are. And that's a plural you. That's who we are. God is the one who saves. God is the one who sets apart. He's the one who gives us all things rightly to enjoy. And he is the one who gifts us to live and move and have our being in him in this world, which is more than an invitation. It is a responsibility, a response ability. God's people are marked by his righteousness, his holiness, 
his presence in this world. They are, or they're not God's people. He is who we are and how we live our lives for all our days and then some. We are the body of Christ. We are his physical presence in this world. When Jesus went up prior to that, when Jesus said, you, plural you, will do greater things, he's talking about us. We are the church. God has promised us his presence, and in so receiving, we are being purified, and God's holiness is being perfected in us. The heart is being strengthened by the presence of God within us. And that process is called sanctification. It is the lifelong work of God's grace in us, whereby we are consumed with the presence of God that manifests itself in a single word, love. Let me choose my words carefully to say it again. The lifelong work of God's grace in us, whereby we are consumed with holy fire, the holy fire of God's love. That's who we are. It's not something we do. It's done to us. Awakening. Transformation. Holy love. There is a deep and profound love for God that comes from God, and it is not sugar and sweet. It's not sentimental. It does not evoke sheer terror in someone. It's not fearful but reverential. It is devotion. It is adoration, a deep respect for God who, when the time was right, stepped down out of heaven in the person and work of Jesus. He is the one who gives God a face and a name. Jesus lived and died a brutal death, your death and mine. He took our punishment, but death could not keep him down. Hell could not hold him. Jesus got up. He was raised from the dead. He appeared in this world for 40 days. Then he ascended, and when he did, because he did, he went from being someone on the outside of us to the one who lives inside of those who claim his name, those who realize their need, those who repent of their sin and receive his presence within y'all. There is nothing we can do. We strive and we try. We come to the end of ourselves if we're lucky. Finally, we are awakened to the only thing left, which is simply to receive. We cannot earn God's grace. We cannot win salvation. God has done all that's necessary. And it's in receiving that process is set in motion and we are being saved to the utter most. It's not one time. It's whole life salvation. It's available for us. That's sanctification. That's John Wesley, our Methodist heritage. That's who you are. 
When I was three years old, we were in church on one Sunday morning. I had an upset stomach, and my mom gave me something there in the service rather than take me out. And it wasn't long after I had consumed whatever it was that I threw up in church. I'm that kid who threw up in church. But we didn't miss. Even if you're sick, get to church. Saturday night, we're not deciding, are we going in the morning? It's who we are, it's what we do. On vacation, we go to church. And I'm so grateful that my parents positioned me in the church. When I was six years old, I was baptized. When I was in the seventh grade, the gospel slammed into my soul. And my friends at church were my best friends. We hung out all the time. When I was in high school, I did not go to the party, wasn't out drinking on Friday night, nor Saturday. When I got to college, I did a little bit. And it was there in the dorm that Nate Newell said to me, Mark, you're one of the truest guys I know. You'll go out and party on Saturday night, get up and go to church on Sunday, I could have cried. I thought to myself, man, Nate, I'm so sorry. If that's what you think being a Christian is, I'm so sorry. In that moment, I was awakened. And I remembered my calling that goes back as far to the seventh grade. And I set my face like flint on the gospel, and it's a process that I'm still enduring. Is it easy? Am I perfect? Man, if you could get inside of this head sometimes, Leanne wishes she could. No, I am far from perfect, but I am being saved, and so are you. Church, why this message this morning? Why is it something I want the whole church to hear? It's because God is stirring here at Marvin Church. And I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss him, and I don't want you to miss it either. And so I think he might say to us this morning, wake up, because there is so much more to experience. Our faith is not to be compartmentalized. He has invited us into this journey that is ours for the taking, that we might experience the thriving of life and all of life at all times. We gather and we scatter as the faithful presence of God's love and all the dark places that we go. We have the hope of the world living inside of us, and there are people hungry. There are people in darkness, there are people dying and they know it not. And we rub elbows with them. And all the time, all the places that we go. And I wonder if they look at us and think, mm, you're the truest person I know. Whew, man, may we be faithful as God is calling us to be faithful. May we know true transformation that is only a beginning. It is there to be experienced because it is a continuous process 
and may we be holy. Be the faithful presence of God's love in all the places that we go. It's not something we do. It's not something we turn on and then turn off. It's who we are, church. That's who you are. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.